Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Welcome back to our study of Philippians called Contentment in the Crisis. And today we are, uh, we are opening up chapter 3. And the title of my sermon is, it, uh, It's Who Knows You. You know, we say it's all who you know, but in reality, in a spiritual sense, it's who knows you. And you can begin making your way over there to Philippians 3. President George Bush decided it was time to do some public service after being retired for so many years, and he decided to start at a local nursing home there in Crawford, Texas. The president began his, his tour down a main hallway and passed a little old man who didn't seem to notice who he was. Sensing this, President George Bush backtracked to the resident and said, Good morning. Do you know who I am? The little old man looked up from his walker and he said, No, but if you go to the front desk, that lady knows everyone. (laughs) I have found in life that it's good to remember who you are and where you came from. Amen? True and lasting joy or happiness does not come from who you are, but who Jesus is and how well you know Him and how well you trust Him. It's not who you know, but rather who knows you that really matters at the end of life. The Apostle Paul knew that and it was his key to how he lived his life and how he would do so well and we would do so well if we understood this principle and let it guide us through our own lives going forward. Let's begin reading our passage of Scripture. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. The word joy here, or rejoice, is found some ten times in this short letter. And Paul does not grow weary in reminding them of the importance of keeping one's joy mindset of grace and salvation as a free gift. The apostle writes that he doesn't find it tedious to remind them of the precepts and the hope that is found in Scripture. In fact, he tells them that in so doing, it keeps us from falling into the false teacher's mindset of working for one's salvation, which of course we know is impossible. It's easy to allow Uh, outside circumstances to determine one's inside joy, isn't it? I mean, if our intake of the news surpasses our intake of God's Word, then we shouldn't be surprised when the fears of this world overwhelm us. Here's a great acrostic for fear, by the way. I'm going to give this to you for free this morning. Not part of the message, but just let me give you this. Fear stands for false evidence appearing real. I could do a whole nother sermon right now, but I'm not going to chase that rabbit. It's false evidence appearing real. And then I tell you what, the news media is full of it these days. It seems like they're trying to instill fear into us on purpose. As the popular Christian song states, 
Fear is a liar. Fear will paralyze you from making sound biblical decisions. In fact, it will trick you into making really bad decisions. God can't love me. I'm not worth it. I can't be forgiven. Or I don't need God. I can make it on my own. And I can take care of myself. These are all fear-based lies that the enemy wants to sow into our lives. Paul regularly reminded his children of the faith of God's truth and how to live a life of joy, meaning, and purpose. Joy is found in three key reminders from our passage today, and I want to look at them. Here's reminder number one, and if you take notes, they're on the back of your bulletin. Here's reminder number one. Remind yourself of who you were. It's good to remember where we come from. Number two, uh, verse two, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. The false teachers wanted to mutilate what Christ had done for, for us. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence, Paul says, in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, that's my favorite tribe, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteous, uh, righteousness, which is in the law, blameless, of what things were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Christ. Paul had a checklist. Boy, he was checking boxes in his life. He was going to be the best Jew that ever lived. Paul fired off the list of things he'd done for God. In short, it was his pride list. He could outshine just about anyone else in his presence as far as his accomplishments were concerned. But after coming to faith in Jesus, he knew just how much he was lacking. And that's the challenge the rich and famous have with coming to salvation. They believe they don't need Jesus in order to be successful. And by their defini definition or the world's definition, they're actually right. But God has a different definition of success. And in the end, His is the only one that matters. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. In the end, riches won't ransom you. Power won't protect you. And fame won't free you. We need a Savior and His name is Jesus. The most successful man or woman on this planet is bankrupt without Christ. Hell will be brimming with the rich and famous. Those who thought their good deeds would get them into heaven will one day discover that true salvation was a gift from God. It can't be bought, it can't be sold, and it can't be acquired. Only coming to Jesus in humility will save a person. Paul's list of accomplishments were uh, worthless in regards to saving his soul, and he knew that now looking back. So reminder number one, remind yourself of who you were. And here's reminder number two, remind yourself of who Jesus is. Verse eight, 
Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash. The Greek word here is animal excrement. Compared to knowing Christ, all those things that I thought were great that I was doing are trash. It's rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. We can't earn our way into heaven because there's nothing righteous in us apart from what God puts there. There's nothing as important, precious, awesome, or valuable as knowing Jesus and His Father who loves you perfectly and completely. The supreme excellence in knowing Jesus and growing in His knowledge, in His wisdom, leaves our past accomplishments and achievements in the dust. To be quite frank here, they're not even in the same solar system. The knowledge of the brightest, most talented, and brilliant men and women that ever lived can't hold a candle to the surpassing joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment of knowing and experiencing the most elementary truths found in God's Word. Truths like that of John 3.16 that are so profound yet so simple. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, that's, that's us, we're part of the whoever, believes in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. What a profound yet simple truth. What an amazing, amazing truth. Maybe you sung about it as a child. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. My friend, if you don't have Jesus today, then today you have nothing of eternal value because without Him, there is no hope or reason for life. What is the reason for living? I was just asked by a rather astute young lady who was really wanting to know the answer. Here it is. Verse 10, look at your Bibles. That I may know Him, we're talking about Jesus here, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. So that I may know Him, now this is the amplified version, so stick with me here. So that I may know Jesus experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with Him, understanding the remarkable wonders of His person more completely and in that same way, experience the power of His resurrection which overflows and is active in believers and that I may share the fellowship of His sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into His likeness even to His death, dying as He did. I like the Amplified Version sometimes. It just wraps it all up. To live as Christ... To die is gain. Our highest purposes in this life are to worship God, to become more like Jesus, and to help others come to know Him too. That's the reason you draw breath if you're a believer. 
So how can we achieve that desire? Let me give you a few foundational and biblical spiritual practices that I myself have used and discovered from others that discipled me how you can get to know Jesus better in your own life. Here they are, letter A in your notes. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. You want to get to know Jesus? Yeah, you've got to get to know Him from the Word. Reading your Bible is like eating fresh bread. Don't eat stale bread. Get it fresh from God's, God's Word every day. Open up your Bible and get something fresh before you, before you head off into life. Meditate on it and hide it in your heart in order to foster holiness in your life. It's the only way. God says, be holy for I am holy. Well, how do I, how does Ben, a sinner, become holy? You start reading the Bible and God will start sowing holiness into your heart. Why? The Bible is God's love letter to you. Do you feel unlovable? Read your Bible. Do you feel far from God? Read your Bible. Do you feel like life has no meaning? Read your Bible. Do you need wisdom in order to make a decision? Read your Bible. Do you need hope today? Read your Bible. The Bible is full of spiritual food for your soul. See, if you only read your Bible on Sundays when we open them up, like for example right now, how can you stay healthy the rest the other six days? If you eat one meal a week, eventually you're going to die. It's just that simple. And the same is, is true spiritually. We're to open up our Bibles. Here, here, I'm trying to give you a banquet from God's Word. But every day you go get your own. You open up your Bible and you find other truths that will impact your life. So how do you get to know Jesus better? Letter A, read your Bible every day. And here's letter B, pray to Him regularly. Pray to Him. The key to experiencing joy is tapping into the relationship that God desires to have for, with you and me every day. Listen, if you only talk to your spouse on Sundays through a translator, what kind of relationship would that be? God wants you to talk to Him, get to know Him, share your concerns, your hopes, yes, even your fears. So pray to Him regularly. I don't know what people do without God. I really don't. I have no clue. I look back on my life, what a mess. Man, just to get through these days we're living in, you've got to have God in your life. You've got to be reading His Word fresh every morning. You've got to be in prayer about things. There's so much going on. There's so many things to pray for. If you have nothing to pray for, call me. I've got a whole list of them. <laughs> so letter C, moving on. Attend church weekly. You want to know Jesus? Attend church weekly. Come to church on Sundays and get involved in the midweek Bible studies that Brad talked about earlier. Get to know people and become known to them. We were created for relationships. First with our Creator, then with our spouse and our children, and then with the people God puts in our lives and places around us. Your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. Coming to together presents the opportunities to serve one another, to encourage one another, and spur one another on to good works. 
One of the glaring statistics found in divorced Christian marriages is the lack of these spiritual practices in a marriage relationship. It didn't take me long to understand that. In mentoring now over a hundred men, I was a men's pastor for eight years for Dr. David Jeremiah down in San Diego. After getting through about a hundred of them, it was glaringly true that I had yet to meet one of them that committed to carrying out these three spiritual practices. I will say pretty confidently that none could say that they read their Bibles daily. I asked them. None had an active or consistent prayer life. The majority were only slipping in and out of church each week, hoping not to be noticed or asked any questions. When Jesus collected his disciples, he didn't stop at one, did he? He, he called together a band of brothers. They would walk and talk together, laugh and cry together, and yes, at times even die together and share life side by side together. And after three years of closely walking together, God used them to turn the world right side up with the gospel. They, they were helping change lives. They were affecting people and molding empires as they shared the good news with those around them. Paul took the gospel into Caesar's palace as he's being tried. He was sharing the gospel with Caesar. He was changing empires. He gets shackled together, and before you know it, the, the, the people, the guards are coming to Christ, and others in Caesar's household, we're told, are coming to Christ. Isn't that interesting? You can shape an empire, the most powerful empire of his day. These disciples of Jesus shared their struggles, their shortcomings, their victories, their celebrations, and their prayer requests. Together, as they bonded around the commonality they had in Christ, you should too. We should too. Let me tell you, the days aren't getting easier. I don't have to, to tell you, the days are getting a lot more difficult. Every day brings some other news. The church is beginning to be persecuted right here in our own country. And while all of this sounds good up to this point, as far as following Christ and getting to know Him, then Paul gives us some less than comfortable truth. All of a sudden, his writing changes. Finishing up now with verse 10. That I may know Him, Jesus, and the power of His resurrection. Yeah, that's all awesome and amazing. I want to do that. Sign me up. And the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Hold on a minute. I like the first part of that verse, but Paul, wait a minute. What did you just say? Here's the amplified version. And that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. There's no mistake about what Paul's talking about here. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany. He wrote these words that are famous now. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Wow. Wait just a minute. 
I like the parts about the blessings. I want to get blessings from God. I, I like the part about experiencing his power of resurrection. I can accept that, but even the parts about loving and being kind to one another, that's all good news, isn't it? But back the truck up. What do you mean we're supposed to suffer with him? That, that doesn't sound real good with me. I, I don't like suffering. I like easy days when there's no suffering. To know Jesus is to know a supernatural, resurrected God. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Pastor John just talked about that. We just took communion. We just recalled that. You see the connection here? Jesus was conformed and obedient to His Father's plan for our salvation and our redemption and our being made into right standing with His Father and our Father. Jesus willingly obeyed His Father's design for our rescue by becoming flesh, becoming a man, by living out His Father's will for His life, which included suffering and dying in order that you and I might be made innocent of the charges of sin against us, charges that were leading us to the death penalty. All so He could be buried in a tomb three days and resurrected to glory by the Holy Spirit. Jesus conquered the grave in order to offer us forgiveness through the payment of His own blood and death on the cross. The cross we should have borne ourselves. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up together. That's the power of his resurrection right there, our power to overcome anything we might face in life, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the power of death, of his death for us our total forgiveness of sin, verse 7, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's the results of His obedience regarding us, God's riches at Christ's expense. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and, not, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, salvation is free from God. We can't earn it. Don't ever let anyone tell you different. You just read the Bible. God said grace is given. It's a free gift. I gave it to you. My son paid for it. All you have to do is take it off the table and make it yours. As I shared with somebody who wasn't a Christian this week, we were talking about just this. The gifts on the table. It's all taken care of. It's all paid for. I said, do you believe that gift is yours? Yes. I took a little box and stuck it on the table. And I said, in, the, in here is a priceless gift. Put any name or number to it. A trillion dollars are in there. Whatever. I put it on the table. 
And I said, now, do you believe that's your gift? Yeah, if you say so. We both laughed. And I said, is it yours? Yeah. No, it's not. What do you mean? You said it was. Well, I said it was. It's still sitting on the table, though. It's not yours till you pick it up. It's not yours till you make it yours. It's not yours till you receive it, as Paul says. You believe first, you receive second, that equals to become. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.